morning everyone. Ah, so lucky to be with our AM guys. Uh, exciting. And it's great to celebrate this time. You know, we, we, we sometimes don't realize this is the resurrection. Without this day, where would we be? Hey? Without Jesus being raised from the dead, where would we be today? And so we do celebrate it. We do rejoice in it. We do revel in this. We do. And if you're new here and you're thinking, yes, like these guys are a bit wild with their worship, man, if you're saved and you realize the revelation that what Jesus has saved us from, you would be dancing and shouting like the rest of us. And so, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what to title my message this morning, um, but I've called it the two Adams, the two gardens, the two trees, and one resurrection. And uh, <laughs> two Adams, two gardens, two trees, and one resurrection. So I want to start by just going to Scripture. So let's turn to Romans 5. Uh, verse 12 to 21. I know it's quite a bit, but we're going to just kind of unpack this a little bit. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more by grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through one who sinned for the judgment which come from one offense results in condemnation. But the free gift which comes from many offenses results in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one man, much more those who receive um, abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. I know that's a lot, and so we're going to unpack this a little bit. But I, I want to just, yeah, just, just, can I just open it? I know you prayed for me, but I really feel I, I really need to trust the Spirit this morning. Now, Lord, I just want to pray just for your, your dependency, Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you would come that you would bring life to these words, Lord, that we'd read the Scripture, but Lord, that you would enlighten. We know we can read and we can impart information, but Lord, you transform lives. You, you, you open up hearts and you open up eyes, Lord, so that people can perceive and, and see you this, this morning. And so, Father, I just pray for that in Jesus' name. Here we read the Scripture and we see how one man represents all of us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get bit upset when I turn on the TV, <laughs> and I, I, I say a little bit upset because I'm a Christian, I don't get angry, I don't have emotions that drag me away, but you know, when you, when you watch the news sometimes, don't you just, like, just get a little bit annoyed when, when a minister stands up and he shares something on behalf of all of us as South Africans, and it's like they don't always carry the weight, and they don't really like really consider the words that they say and how it's going to affect the rest of us. Hey? 
And so like, even like the Minister of Finance recently, who, who kind of got up and he, and he shared just, just something, you know, that like even ESCOM, you know, we, 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 we're not going to hold them accountable to their spending. You know, that's, that's not going to be something that we're going to do. And he had to retract from that statement. Now, the reason I say it is not so we can get politically involved and, and emotional about it, but I, I just, as I thought of it, isn't it funny that how just through one man saying something and doing something can cause our rand to just drop, can cause stocks to fall, it can cause just investors, you know, not having confidence in the country and just how the country sinks and you and I are a little bit poorer because of this guy just standing up. I'm saying it not to be, because the Bible says we need to pray for our, our ministers, and so that's what we'll do. We won't moan at them, we won't groan at them. The reason I'm telling you this is because through one man who's there to speak on behalf of the country is speaking on behalf of you and me. Now, we can all say, oh, we don't have anything to do with it. That's him, that's something he did. But you know what? We are poorer because of it, okay? Now, we have another man who spoke and did something on behalf of you and me, okay? And this man, he's a representation of us. His name is Adam. And when Adam did something, when he ate of the tree, you and I were poorer because of it. And it, and it affected the world economy, you know, because of this sin. Everything started to die. Everything started to decay. Everything started to erode and break and because of this one sin. So you and I are a lot more poorer <laughs> because of what Adam did. And uh, unlike our government and unlike our ministers, we can say, but I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. Actually, Adam is a representation of you. You can't dissociate yourself from him like you can with your government at times. You say, well, I know better. He's a representation and a good representation of us. And uh, I just felt this morning that just that God wants us to look at our own hearts even this, this morning. <clears throat> you know, we can say, oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say what Adam said. I wouldn't do what he would do, but we would. You see, the problem with this Adam, he's not just a representation of us. He actually is us. He's in our DNA. He's in our nature. He's in every part of us, in our makeup, in the very thing that makes you who you are is Adam. And so, in a sense, when you, when you talk about Adam, you're actually talking about yourself. And this is what Paul's saying right here. You know, it's because of your great-granddaddy, Adam, <laughs> that you are like you are. And, uh, yeah, so... It's almost like you, you can't dissociate that. You can't say, well, that's him, and this is me. And this is what Paul's like, he's bringing this to us. He's bringing a reality of this to us. You might say, well, Benny, what has this got to do with the resurrection this morning? We talked about the tomb. We talked about the cross. What has this got to do with Adam? Now, if I were to ask the question, what does the resurrection mean, mean to you? What does the resurrection mean to you? Now, from a first glance, we'd probably say, well, it means I'm saved. Or it means I'm going to heaven. Or it means I've got my life insurance paid up. You know, I'm with JCML, Jesus Christ Mutual Life. And 
I don't have to worry about anything, you know. But Paul helps us understand something about this. this and if that's your answer, I want to say that's, that's an answer, yes, but it's kind of a surface answer. It's kind of a superficial answer. But what does the resurrection mean to me now? And this is where Paul's wanting to take us. Okay, he's wanting us to see something. You see, the problem with sin, it pulls us. The problem with sin, it's got so much power. It's got so much strength. It's got so much ability to draw us, to take us to places we don't want to go, to make us see things we don't want to see, to make us feel things we don't want to feel. And it's even like Paul says in Romans seven fourteen. he says this, he says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. How many can identify with Paul? Hey? How many of you feel that pull? Can I say the LGBTQ+, whatever else is added to that, are not the only ones trapped in another body. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> we trapped into Adam's body. It's, I know with them it's just been sexualized and it's just male, female. Let me say we're all trapped in the body of Adam. And it's a sinful body. And it's a body that holds us and it makes us feel something we, we're not. You know what? Paul understood this. And Paul wants to give us a revelation of something. He wants to give us a revelation. He wants to give us an understanding that there's a need. Yes, the same way there's, an, there's a, the first Adam, but there's a need for a second Adam. And he makes us realize this in, in his scripture. And so you think about it. You know, sin, we're not sinners because we sin. I want you to think about that. We're not sinners because we sin. Am I right? We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. You see, the problem is it's with our hearts. That's why I'm a sinner. That's why I do what I do. It's because of the heart that deceives. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And you know, can I say, sometimes we think that our sins what make us sinners. You know, it's your actions is a result of what's here, what's here. You start thinking about it. Think of sin. Think of how sin comes. You don't just accidentally sin and just do a whole lot of things that are sinful. No, you ponder on it. You, it's almost like you have a bite of something and you chew on it and you think, hmm, that tastes nice. And you start to think about it. You start to meditate. And then you start to act upon it. Okay, I want you to get this. I want you to grasp this. Because sometimes we think the actions are the problem. Let me tell you, your, your actions are subservient. They're little servants that do what the master tells it to do. And you know who the master is? It's the heart. They're subservient to the heart. Your action is a result of what's in here. And so Paul knows this, and he, and he understands this, and he wants to take us to a deeper place than just, just the same way that Adam has a hold of us. The, the, the first Adam has a hold of us. He said, I want to take you deeper to what the second Adam does. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul wants us to see the nature of the second Adam. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 44. We can go there. It is sown in the natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a living spirit. You see Paul saying, yeah, look, the same way your flesh has a pull, there's a, there's a, but there's a second Adam. There's a way out. There's, there's a spirit. The same way that Adam's of the flesh, Jesus, the second Adam, is of the spirit. 
And He wants to raise you from this. Oh, such an amazing revelation when you come to this. You know, we, we don't have to be victims of the first Adam because of it. You know, I love the way Paul says it. It says Jesus being the second Adam. Have you ever thought about it? Don't you think it sounds a little bit inferior to call Jesus the second Adam? I mean, imagine recently we become AM and PM, huh? Imagine if we were called the second Josh Jane George. I mean, come on. That would make us sound a little bit inferior to the, to the AM guys because they would be number one. So I know what you say. You, you, you number what? <laughs> when you have how many Josh Janers? <laughs> but... Why does Paul do this? Why does, he, why does he put Jesus in the bracket of the second Adam? I mean, come on. You, you, it's like you don't put Jesus there. But Paul wants us to see something here. He calls Jesus the second Adam because he wants us to have a revelation of something here. He calls him the second Adam because you know what happens? We can look at Jesus. We can say, that's Jesus. That's God. He can't, he's not like us because he's God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus is coming fully as man, as Adam. And the Word became flesh, John 1, 14. You see, we need to understand this. Because if we see Jesus purely as God, we can't identify with Him if that is Jesus. And so Paul's saying, no, He's the second Adam. In other words, He's been tested like Adam has been tested. He feels what Adam felt. He feels what you feel. He can sympathize with your weakness. He can understand. He can know the pull of, of what sin has. The Bible says, you know, he, he, he felt the same. Let me quickly go there. It's in Hebrews 4.15. It says, Jesus could sympathize with our weakness and was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Notice that. In all points, not some of the points, in all the points, all the points. I want you to get revelation. He was in all the points tempted like you. So Paul didn't want us to get off the proverbial hook and say, well, Jesus was God. That was him. He could do it. And I, I'm, just, I'm a victim. Paul saying, no, no, no. Jesus is the second Adam. The second Adam means he understood the first Adam. You see, if Jesus couldn't identify with us, we couldn't identify with him. And so he wants us to see what, what we are in Christ. And he's building up to this. Are you guys with me? I'm not teaching this just to get us informative. I, I, I really feel that just something of, yeah, let me go. I'll carry on. I'll just pray in the Spirit. God will just show me. But sometimes we think Jesus has got an off and on button. Sometimes we think he's God nature. We see him switch on the on button. Okay, I'm God now. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to heal the sick. And oh, now I've got some worldly, fleshly chores to do. So I'm going to switch off the God button. And I'm going to go and sleep. And I'm going to go to the toilet. And I'm going to do all those things that the natural man would do. I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I'm trying to help us see that this is not how Jesus worked. This, Jesus didn't have an on and off button. Think of it. He wants us to, to identify with him. He wants us to see what what he went through. And to, to do that, we've got to realize that he was fully God, yes, but he was also fully man. Okay, this is the, the incarnation of Jesus as we understand it. And this is what makes it so important. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 22, if you can go there quickly. It says, for as in Adam all die, 
even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. For since one man came, man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all are made alive. Now notice here, Paul's wanting us to see something here. Saying, as Adam all died, but in Christ all will be made alive. But I love the way he says that, that Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. First fruits for us, for you and me. He became the first fruits. What does that mean for you and me? Well, that means we are the fruit that follows. If Jesus became the first fruit, it's almost like we can't get off the hook and say, well, that's God. Now he's saying, Jesus became the first fruit for you. That means you the fruit that follows. And everything that you do is fruitful to glorify Him. you the second fruit. Do you understand that? And God is calling us to, to live like this, to live. And not that we become victims of the other Adam. We don't have to be. We're not victims of the old Adam because we have a new Adam. The second Adam. In the same way the fleshly Adam of the first Adam has the power and, you know, that experience that we have. Because think of it. Sin, sin is natural. It's something we're born with. I mean, you didn't have to teach your kids to be naughty, did you? It just came naturally. I know, my boys, it was a natural thing. But, but I want to say, even though it was natural instinctively, they worked on it, like all of us. We get experienced in sin. We get so good at it. it it's like, yo. I, I'm sharp, man. I do it every day. I practice it. I love it. And I, you know, think of the things that you practice every day. You enjoy doing. You, it's like you get good at it. And it gets more of a hold of you. And Paul understood this. And he says the same way, the first Adam becomes something so in you and it's so experiential that it's part of you. It's powerful. But I want you to have a new experience in the new Adam. And he's just as powerful. In fact, he's more powerful. And it's the same spirit that we said raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. It's like it gives you a new DNA. You get a new life that you have a new experience in Him. But the question is, do you want to practice that experience? Do you want to carry on walking in that experience? Do you want to carry on living in that experience? Because that experience needs to be cultivated. It needs to be worked in. That we become good at it. That we become righteous. That we become glorious. You know, we're not victims of the first Adam because of what the second Adam has done. That's why Galatians 5 verses 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, of the second Adam. So I want to quickly, can I just quickly do this? I really want to bring this comparison between the first Adam and second Adam, just to help us see. And I'm going to do what the theologians call a typology. The typology, the way Adam was a type of Christ. But I want to bring a quick, just quick uh, comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam was born of the flesh. Jesus was the first from the Spirit. The first Adam came from dust. Jesus came from heaven. The first Adam was disobedient, but also brought disobedience. Jesus brought obedience. Jesus was obedient, but also brought obedience. Adam brought imputed sin, but Jesus imputed righteousness. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. Adam brought an offense. Jesus brought the gift of grace. Adam brought death, but Jesus brought life. 
It's amazing. And I want to quickly just, I'm not going to unpack that because that is so much in it. And we can be very analytical and we can begin to compare and we can bring notes and, and I can put informative understanding of this, but I'm not going to do that today because I really feel what I want to convey is the heart, is the heart. And I'm going to bring you to two places of intimacy. I want to bring you to the garden and I want to bring you to the tree. Now, the first Adam was tempted in the garden, right? Now, if you think of that garden, it was full of trees. Trees full of fruit, lush. It was, it was fruitful. Adam had so many choices. He was, he was tempted in a place where there was so much. Jesus, when he was first tested, was tested in the wilderness where there was barrenness. There wasn't a selection of everything that he could. But this is the key. This is what I want us to see. You see, Adam was, Adam was tested in fruitfulness. Jesus was tested in barrenness. You know, Isaiah 53 says he was the root out of dry ground. And sometimes I think as Christians, we think sometimes that there's just not enough options. Jesus doesn't have everything. He doesn't know every need in me. I need this. And so that was the subtlety that how Satan brought deception to Adam. Think of it. God says, of all the trees you can eat except this one. Think of the subtlety, just how Adam comes in here. You can have everything, it's just one. And I say, this is the nature of our hearts. If God says there's 10 trees, but I don't want you to have that one, We'll want that one too. If he says there's 10,000 10, trees, we will still want that other one. Why is that? And this is how Satan comes in. He says, like, it's almost like, why is God holding back on you? you know, is there something in that tree that God doesn't want you to have? Think of it. I mean, that's how Satan began to question Adam. Did God say, you know, does God really consider it? Is he really thinking about you? Or is he holding back? It's a distrust that he wants to bring to Adam, a distrust that you, you don't totally believe that God wants the best for you. And so in that, there comes this distrust, and, and you know, I, I don't know, there must be another option, you know, God's holding back, and, and you begin to question God, you begin to question the goodness of God. But notice, just notice this, and so Satan comes and he says, did God say, and he begins to question the goodness of God. And this is the nature, what was in Adam. This is what pulled him to, to the tree. I want you to ask yourself, what actually pulled Adam to the tree? If you think about it, what pulled him to the tree? Yes, it's Scripture says, yes, he saw the tree and it was good for eating. But what actually pulled him to the tree? Huh? He want, Exactly, that's it. You see, the moment there's a distrust in God, it's like, God, I think you're holding back on me, so I must find another way to do it. And I can be like you. That's, that's, what, that's what Satan said to, to Adam. You can be like God. So the moment you've put a distrust in God, you're going to want to replace God because you think he can't cut it. You think he can't do the complete work in your life. And so you need to become dependent on you. And you become God. You can be like God. And so he brings a distrust. Now I want you to notice this because this is what Adam begins to strive for something. He begins to reach out to grab something and eat of because he doesn't trust God. Now, notice how contrary this is to Jesus. Remember I said he was tested in the wilderness. Now, let's quickly go to Matthew 4 from verse 67. And this is, the, this is Satan trying to test Jesus the same way he tested Adam. He says, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, I shall give his angels charge over you. 
And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know what Jesus was actually saying here? Saying, saying look, yeah, God's, he loves you. And if he really loves you, he'll make sure that he'll protect you. He'll, and Jesus like, you know, Satan, I'm totally confident in the goodness of God. I don't need to test him. I don't need to check if he loves me. He's, he's told me that. He said it to me at the baptism. This is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And I'm totally confident in that. I totally know it. I totally believe it. There's no distrust that I have with the Father. I believe him. And this is the funny thing. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of trees to choose from. In fact, when he was in the garden, he said, God, there's only one tree. And I don't want to drink of it. I don't want to eat of it. It's a tree I don't want to go to. But I know, Father, you're calling me to this tree. But he trusts God. He says, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You see the trust that he had? You see the trust and the confidence that he had to the Father? He knew exactly what he was going to face. He knew the death that he was going to face. But his confidence was in the Father. Totally, can you, can you just notice the contrast? Genesis 3 verses 5, verses 6, going back to Adam. It says, For God knows that is the day you eat of your, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Notice that. It was good to the eyes. It was pleasant. It was like it was there. And it's like, God, if I can just grab this, I could be like you. And here you see man, through disobedience, striving to become God. Now notice how contrast this is to Jesus. Quickly read. Let's go to Philippians 2 verses 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I want you to notice this. Notice the contrast between Adam and Jesus here. God says to Adam, don't eat of the tree. Adam grabs it to be like God. God says to Jesus, you will eat of the tree. He's saying, I don't want you. But your will, I'm going to do it, Father. I'm going to lay myself down. And here, Adam trying to reach to be God, Jesus coming down as man. Isn't that completely contrary to one another? And one is going to the tree out of obedience. The other one's going to the tree in disobedience. I just want us to see the nature of man's response in that. Now, I don't want to go there, but Genesis 3, 8, we see God's walking in the cool of the day, and he comes, and he's looking for Adam. And he's saying, where are you? And Adam's what? Hiding. He's hiding. He's hiding from God. And you know, often we think God was walking in the cool of the day. He was just there. Can I say, I think sometimes maybe that scripture might be misunderstood. I believe God was coming to the garden to bring judgment. Because he knew what Adam had done. 
He wasn't taking a stroll. He wasn't just taking, he was walking, looking for Adam because judgment had come because of what Adam had done. And Adam knew it because he must have heard the presence of God and he ran. He says, no, my judgment is to come because God told me not to eat and he knew. And he ran and he hid from God. Not only that, we see him hide from God, but also he begins to blame and defect, deflect the responsibility of what he had done. Because think of it, Genesis uh, Genesis 3, but verse 11, he said, who, when God said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam doesn't go, yes, God, I did. You don't leave it there. What does he do? Verse 12, the man, this is what he says. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You know, have you ever noticed how quickly defecting, deflecting that is? It's like, God, this is not my fault. <laughs> I mean, I went to bed single, I woke up married, and I didn't even get to choose the wife. <laughs> I didn't choose her, you made her. So, look, between you and Eve, you guys sort it out. This is not my issue. Uh, yeah, the woman you go. Yeah. So it was a double blame. It was God and man. You made her. She did it. Adam, God, not my fault. You should have called her not Eve, but evil. <laughs> but this is God's mercy. This is God's mercy. He comes and he still clothes her. He's, he still clothes them. Close them, and this just shows the mercy of God. Yes, the judgment came. Adam, you sinned out of the garden, but God came and He clothed man. He, he came and He redeemed man. And I love that because, you know, just, just in that, we, when Jesus was arrested at the garden, and we don't have time to go there, but in John 18, if you're taking notes, go to John 18 and really read it because there it says that when they came for Jesus to arrest them, Jesus didn't hide around the trees and get seven, you know, He, he, he was there, and when, the, when he saw a mob, of, they say it was about an average of 600 men, soldiers and Pharisees who were ever with Judas, and they came to him and he said, who, we're looking for Jesus, and what does Jesus go? I am he, straight away. Not like Adam, run. Jesus said, I am he. And the Bible says they fell when he said, I am he. And you know, I was just thinking of that. There's something of significance in that. I believe there was a handing over of authority that Jesus gave, but it wasn't like I'm, it's like I'm giving you delegated authority right now. I'm handing over something, but it's temporary. It's for a moment. You've got to do something. I'm going to let you do it, but no, you're not. I'm still in control. And we see that in John 10, 18. Remember when Pilate says to Jesus, you know, I can take your life. I can kill you. Jesus says, no one can take my life. I've laid down my life. You didn't take it. There's a difference. You see, you see Jesus' response. But yet, Adam was clothed. You know, Jesus was stripped. He was stripped and he was sent to the cross on your behalf and on mine. And he got the full judgment of God. It says the Bible that the wrath of God, the wrath of God, was placed on his son. And it pleased the Father to crush the son. I just want you to think about that for a moment because I feel just in line with that, 
Many of you sitting here can identify with the first Adam. You can feel the pulls. You can feel the, the urges of what sin has. But God is calling you to a place of death of the first Adam so that he can raise the second. And so that is the gospel message today, church. That is the gospel message. And so I want to do two things today, just in closing. Can I maybe ask, just let me close our eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes, because I don't want to presume everybody here has met Jesus. I don't want to presume everybody sitting here knows him personally. But you know what I've been talking about this morning. You understand the pulls that sin has for you. You know, you can say what Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do. But you know that that pull of the flesh is the desires that are deep within you, in the deep recesses of your heart. And it pulls you daily to the things you don't want to do, and the thing, places you don't want to go, and the things you don't want to see. But it pulls you there. And I want to say, Jesus wants to redeem you of that this, this morning. He wants to free you of those things. But in order to do that, you have to kill it. You have to kill the old Hannah. And the only way to do it is to come to the cross. It's to come to Jesus. And when you lay it down before him, he can resurrect you. He can make you live in the spirit because he's the one who's risen and become the first fruits for you. And so I want to say, if there's anybody here that want to give their life to Jesus, can I ask that you put up your hand for this moment?